This is Headshots, the psychology and gaming podcast with your hosts, Josue Cardona, an engineer-turned-mental-health and ed-tech guru, and psychologist and game scholar, Dr. Kelly Dunlap. So, Josue, you, you know Ben Lewis Evans, right? I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of BLE. BLE? <laughs> the notorious BLE. Yeah. Well, I, I have to be totally honest. I have a super academic crush on him. He's wonderful. Have you seen him in person? I haven't, which uh. I'm so bummed about. So my, my admiration, I guess, hasn't gone that far. But if you're, if you're not familiar, uh, our listeners don't know who BLE is. Uh, again, Ben Lewis Evans. He is a UX researcher at Epic Games, and UX stands for user experience. And he's uh, got a PhD in psychology, and his job is basically to understand player behavior, what motivates, what demotivates, what makes people want to keep playing, and the general experience of playing the game. And I, we've done a previous psych tech episode on one of his talks. But this week, we're focusing on one that he did at uh, the Game Developers Conference 2017. So back in March, I think that was. And it's called Throwing Out the Dopamine Shot, Reward Psych Without the Neurotrash. And I love that title so much. <laughs> so, so can you say that title one more time? It's a long title. Throwing Out the Dopamine Shot, colon, Reward Psychology Without the Neurotrash. What, what is neurotrash? Oh. My new favorite word. <laughs> so there's a, a, a trend right now. Neuro, uh, it's kind of like in, in Zoolander. You know, neurotrash is, or I'm sorry, neuroscience is so hot right now. It's the idea of taking the word neuro and slapping it in front of everything to make it about oh, super scientific, fancy stuff that we're talking about the brain, like neuro training and neuro food and neuro practice and neuro exercise and all this kind of stuff. It's supposed to give it this kind of cool sciencey edge that lets you know it's about the brain. And uh, as uh, Ben mentions in his talk, a lot of it is neuro trash in that it's it, it's it's a catchphrase. It's a it's a hot topic. It's not really steeped in any kind of rigorous science. You know, and I think psychology went through the same thing. You know, and it's just that at least for me, uh, I think. All the all the cool stuff is coming out of stuff that we're learning from neuroscience because we don't we don't know what how the brain works. You know, he makes a point of that in in his talk. So it's not surprising that when you know there used to be psych everything, now it's neuro everything. But a lot of it is garbage. Yeah, and, and he he does say that there's nothing wrong with neuroscience. Like neuroscience is fascinating; it's very interesting to him. But this talk is specifically about reward and like how do you design a game so that people will want to continue playing it? How do you maximize that kind of motivation in a player? And he's saying that this idea that you can just neuroscience your way through it is is incorrect because motivation really has nothing to do with neuroscience because neuroscience is biophysical. It's about the pathways of the brain. It's stuff, I think he even says in the talk, uh, a lot of neuroscience is, it's not finding anything new. It's rehashing things we already know, but showing us where and how they work in the brain. So it's not discovering any new concepts. It's just discovering how they, they work at a, at a biological, at a physiological level. And that really has nothing to do. Um, there's no direct correlates with reward psychology and getting people to play your game. Yeah, a big part of this, I think, is is like, oh, you know, neuroscience tells us 
this is the way to get people to specifically uh, a big part of the talk was like to pay money, right? And mm-hmm. and even though that wasn't his, his his focus, but that kept coming up because I think that's the the trashiest <laughs> thing that gets done, right? Is that how do you manipulate people in a way that can not only make them play the game more, but it will make them pay more. And I thought it was funny that one of the questions at the end of the talk was very explicitly like, how can I gouge my players more? What can I do to make them pay more when they don't want to pay anymore? And I I thought it was funny that 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 person didn't get what he was talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Over his head. So one of the things that he he really uh, drives home in the beginning is there's this this very pop psychology term of a shot of dopamine. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard it. I've probably accidentally used it, um, but it's it's a very common pop psychology way of saying, oh, well, it's something that makes you feel good because there's, um, you know, biophysiological research on what dopamine, the neurotransmitter, uh, does in the brain. And he talks a little bit about how this is a really, really old concept in brain science, and it's just really popular right now. And, and basically that dopamine doesn't have uh, the current thinking on dopamine has more to do with compulsion rather than pleasure or learning. So saying you're getting someone a shot of dopamine is probably not a good thing. Um, and so I'm, I'm very glad that he kind of addressed that and, and put that to bed. And hopefully that saying will go away because I, I do think that it really uh, minimalizes and trivializes the complexity of, of human neuroanatomy and how we function. I'm sure I've mentioned it. On, on one of our shows before, but the the sciency book that I want to write is on dopamine because it is confusing. And as someone who's been diagnosed with an eating disorder, with ADHD, my my problems are dopamine problems. And it's confusing because, I, and I'm sure I've said it too, it's like, well, you know, this thing makes you feel good, but it's not it's not the 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 feeling good, right? It's the it's that feeling of accomplishment or the lack of feeling of accomplishment that kind of dictate your behavior in a way that's that's kind of it, it can be hard to explain and I think he he really had to at the beginning um, explain that or, or at least I'm glad that he did because what he was talking about was specifically reward you know he did talk about uh, game feel in in this talk but really he was talking about reward and the feeling of accomplishment and uh, which mm. which kind of keeps you from coming back and he really didn't focus on the game feel at least that that's what i got from the talk i mean he, he talked oh that's that's kind of later in my notes so i'll okay uh, let's go I'll, let's I'll go in order that. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come back to that uh, so basically what he throws out there is that you know the games are about rewards and on variable schedules and those variable schedules lead to motivated players and what I really like about this is that he brings up a question I think I get asked pretty much every panel I've ever been on is, aren't games just Skinner boxes? Aren't they just, you know, ways to condition human beings? And I have a huge problem with that idea uh, for, for many, many reasons. But rather than get on my fo- soapbox, I'll uh, kind of address what he's getting at. So uh, he references the four different types of uh ratio schedules, or I'm sorry, the kind of feedback schedules that you get in games. And if you've taken any psychology courses, you know that they are uh, variable interval, variable ratio, uh, not set, fixed interval and fixed ratio. And just to break those down like super quick, because 
you know, someone might be studying for their their psychology exam and need a real quick, uh, real quick refresher. So the idea, well, I, I'm sorry, let me take a step back. First, he talks, talks about classical conditioning, which is, you know, Pavlov, the dog slobbering, the idea that you can present a stimulus and tie it with a reward to get a behavior. So ring the bell, show the food, the dog starts to salivate. And eventually you can remove the food and ring the bell and the dog will salivate. So it's the idea that you're, you're pairing, uh, that the the creature is responding to a reward. Whereas operant conditioning is responding to get an award. So this is where the, the schedules of reinforcement come in. So example, fixed ratio, that means that for a certain number of responses, you you get the reward. So for example, if I'm a mouse and I tap my lever five times and I get a reward, every five times I tap that lever, that is a fixed ratio. A fixed interval is similar in that there's a set amount of time. So every five minutes, I get a, a cookie that I'm going to know every five minutes I get a cookie. And then I'm going to show up to the, my cookie dispenser, you know, right around that five minute mark. On the other side is variable ratio, which means you get rewarded for an a not predetermined amount of behaviors. So if you're a mouse, sometimes you have to hit, hit that lever five times. Sometimes you have to hit it 10 times. Sometimes you have to hit it 20 times and you just never know. And that tends to get the most frantic kind of rate of response. And then there is a variable interval, which is after certain amounts of time. So maybe I get a cookie every two minutes or in two minutes. And then the next time it's three minutes and the next time it's 10 minutes. And the time after that, it's two minutes. And you just never know when that cookie is coming. And all that to say that these are all used as ways to reward players in games. There's not one that really stands out. There's not one that really drives um, gameplay. But if you want to be effective at motivating your players, you're probably going to have to use a little bit of each of them. Particularly ones that don't feel like you're being cheated and ones that actually meet expectations. Yes, because if you can get something after two behaviors and then... The next one doesn't come until after, say, 20 behaviors, you're probably not going to get to that 20th behavior. You know, if you crack open one pot and there's a gem inside, you're like, hooray! And then you run around and crack 50 other pots and you never get another gem, you're probably less likely to seek gems in those pots anymore, as opposed to if you got one after, you know, one pot and then maybe five pots and then maybe three and then maybe 10. Um, Yeah, so you you can't feel cheated is a big part of it. The, The reason that he's talking about these kinds of schedules is because um, how you reward players in your game is critically important to getting them to engage. And in the game world, we kind of refer to this more as feedback. So rewards are feedback. The example he gives in his talk is he shows a coin uh, and it's a Super Mario coin and the visual makes me happy. And I hear the pickup sound. I'm like, oh, I like that sound. That sound makes me happy. And so there's all this this feedback letting me know that this item is important because it's shiny. This item is uh, important. It has a very nice, pleasant sound to it. And I know the value of a gold coin. Like even in a non-game context, a gold coin already has value as opposed to if it was like a pink blob, you would have to teach your players the value. And those are the three critical components to keeping your players engaged and using feedback to, to do so. So um, if a player doesn't know they've been rewarded, they're not going to do the behavior again. So you have to give feedback on that. If a player doesn't know why they were given a reward, they're not going to be able to repeat the behavior. So if you, I'm sure we've all played a game where all of a sudden we got a reward and we have no idea why. So it's kind of hard to repeat the behavior when you, you, when you don't know what you did that was right. And then the player has to know the value of the reward. 
Because, for example, if you're if you're grinding in WoW and there's a uh, something that you want, you might be willing to grind for it because you know it has a lot of value. But if there's something that has a random value, like uh, like Destiny, <clears throat> with your uh, with your drop boxes before the fix, then you might be less likely or less interested in, in going and trading them in because you don't really know the value of what could possibly be in there. Well, you never know the value of exactly what's going to be in there. It's part of the surprise. Stop hating on Destiny. You know, I get I get defensive. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in the update, they they changed it to where you're at least like you're guaranteed if you get a purple, um, what do they call it? Engram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Engram. Yeah. If you get a purple engram, you're guaranteed to get something in that spectrum as opposed to before when I was playing, you could get a purple engram, get really excited and then get something crappy like a like a shoe that didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was always that was always strange. But that was an excellent point where it was like, you know, we have these three tiers. If you see it from the outside, you get excited because you're like, at least I'm going to get that much. But um, you didn't, right? You you could get something of lower value than what was. It, the problem there was that it's what was promised, quote unquote, right, from the color on the outside or what was expected, right? So it was. Mm-hmm. It looked like I could get up to that and. That always sucks, right? <laughs> they change it to you will get at least this. And yeah. that feeling is awesome just by seeing it, right? You're automatically excited about it um, because you know that you're going to get at least that. Yeah. And so that's a that's a really good example of a lot of these kind of reward um, strategies and actions. So one, you have uh, – of you're, you're giving the player feedback. You know, there is this chest that's shiny. That's, I mean, the, the visual is feedback to the player that, hey, this is important. I think every gamer knows that if something is moving or shiny, that you you want it. Um, and so it motivates you to engage in a behavior to obtain it. Then there's also kind of the, uh, the random, I'm not sure whether Destiny uses random interval or random, or rather ratio interval or uh, variable interval or variable ratio in that I don't know how it determines uh, the the value of the drop. So I don't know if it's like every 50 minutes it repopulates the world with super uh, special engrams or if it's after, you know, you know, the five and then 10 and then 30 boxes you open, you get something special. So I'm not sure which, which schedule they use, but there is some kind of uncertainty. There is a variableness to finding an engram and that is motivating because you don't, you never know what you're going to get. So the RNG gods are the only ones who know. Nobody knows why they do what they do. I, somebody does. Somebody in the back end who's coding it <laughs> knows. They, they, never, um, they never tell us. <laughs> I know. It's it's a mystery. It is. And so that's that's kind of how he lays the foundation of like very basic uh, player reward. He also touches on intrinsic and extrinsic motivation a little bit, um, but mostly to say that it's something else that's very pop psychology, like saying a shot of dopamine, where at least in games, it doesn't seem to really fit with the way that players necessarily behave, which, I, which I've always thought is really interesting because that is something that we're taught about. You know, intrinsic motivation is self-gratification and extrinsic motivation is when the environment gives you um, the reward, but it doesn't seem to match up. And I, I, I know when I've done user testing, I've definitely seen that uh, play out as well. So, so I, I do want to stay on that for a second because I feel, and and I'm just I'm just talking about me, right? Like I feel like I I play certain games for the you know because of the intrinsic motivation, not necessarily the the extrinsic. So, something like. Um, Actually, I'm going to give two opposite examples. <laughs> I was just uh, playing around with the uh, language learning app Duolingo, and 
I was, you know, it's it's a language learning app. You're using it to learn a language. And I was curious. They had a new Japanese version, so I started playing it. And at one point, I had my sound off, and the 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 thing that tells you, oh, you got it right, came on, but I couldn't hear the ding afterwards, mm-hmm. and I felt like something was missing. It didn't feel right. <laughs> Right. So mm-hmm. at that point, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I am in this for maybe for more of the of the extrinsic than I that I thought I'd, I was here for. And but then there's there's other games that I play. Like I play this game called uh, Disney Emoji Blitz on my phone all the time. And I enjoy the game. But the reason why I keep playing it is because my friends and family are playing it. We're constantly trying to beat each other's high scores. And so something like that is that is that beating of the high score. Would you consider that, or you know, and and having that community aspect? I feel that that's more intrinsic because it's not the that that game has gems and a whole bunch of other stuff. But to me, the high score is arbitrary because it's compared to my friends. So like, how would you see that? Well, it's tough because I I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. I just it's it's hard to find where it fits. You know, it's like trying to to put something into a box that maybe doesn't fit in that box. And I mean, you, you mentioned game feel earlier, and then you brought it up again that it just you, you hear the the ding, and it just feels good. And you know, anybody who has played Left for Dead and you hear the witch music, like that gives you a feel. Usually, one of terror in my case. Um, and I, like, I actually have goosebumps popping up right now because I'm hearing. The, the song in my head and it's making me very uncomfortable. That's and funny. I don't consider that game feel. I consider that really? like this this kind of feedback. I mean, I mean, I, I I don't know how people you know define the the term, but when I think of game feel, I'm like, okay, this like it's it it feels good to play it. Like the 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 game mechanics are solid. The the movement feels right. The speed feels right. Like everything, the the actual gameplay feels good, right? It's not clunky. It's not, I'm not even thinking about it because I'm right in it. But things like the sounds, the visual cues, those are very separate. Like in, in, like I play a lot of games without, with the sound completely off, right? So maybe visual cues do a lot of that, but like, I don't, I, I, I feel like when, when people talk about that, they're, they're, they're separate. Am I, am I wrong? I I mean, I don't think there's a concrete (laughs) yes or no answer, but I, I definitely feel that that sound sound is always really important to me in the games that I play. And I, I feel that sound is a big part of game feel. So for example, if I'm playing a zombie game like Left 4 Dead, I want to feel afraid. You know, and if, if imagine if it had the score on it, it was like do 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 or what the what's the Benny Hill theme? I don't I don't know, but that's usually funny. You know, the game would feel differently. It wouldn't it wouldn't feel as satisfying, I don't think, to bash a clown in the face um, if the nose didn't go squeak squeak. Uh, when when they were hunting you, but I mean you're, you're right on the definition of, of game feel. Uh, I think our, our buddy BLE even uh, identifies it as the act of playing feels satisfying, impactful, and immersive. So I mean, imagine that you are playing a game, well, uh, let's say a shooter, and you've got like a, a bazooka. You know, you're expecting some kind of you know big growly bassy, and if it went, boop, 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 you know, it would be it would change the way the game feels. Or, you know, if you if you punch a wall and it goes boop or makes no sound at all, as opposed to like crunch, that that kind of adds to the the feel of the game. And I, I know that uh, in games we tend to call it like the juiciness of of the game. Does it does it feel 
juicy when you play it. Like you can sink your teeth into it, which I know this is not at all operationally defined or scientifically based. Um, but yeah, so I mean, if, if you play it the sound off, then yeah, I mean, the audio might not be might not be a big part of game feel for you. But it, for me, it, it is a big part of how I experience the game and whether or not I can like immerse myself in the game. But I think we're both right. So... <laughs> well, and, and I mean, the point is that there is a combination of these things playing out simultaneously, because maybe someone is there for the high score, maybe someone there is someone is there for like someone is streaming, and they're there for the community aspect and for the that that YouTube money. You know, maybe someone else is just <laughs> there to spend time with their friends. Maybe someone there is, is someone is there for a completely different reason, and everybody is coming together. <clears throat> in a game, you know, in a game that has a multiplayer aspect, but also like even a single player game, people can play it for completely different reasons. But I, w- I did find it weird that the, again, the idea that people are there more for the extrinsic than the intrinsic. I don't know. I, I guess they, they do play hand in hand, right? It's not one or the other. There's definitely a combination of the two. But it, it, it did make me think for a second and reflect on how I play and, and why I play. Because we've talked about trophies in the past, right? Like yes. trophies are the are the ex, you know the the prime example of extrinsic behavior, right? If I'm doing something that I don't even want to do in this stupid game just so I can get that trophy, <laughs> that is there's no intrinsic value to it whatsoever. Um, and I like trophies, but at the same time, there are games that I play because I like the way they feel. So it's complicated. I, I wonder if you could, I wonder if you could, well, and that, again, the, the idea that the human brain and motivation is complicated is something that he drives home over again and again and again. And I, I can't emphasize it enough is, you know, we, we are not simple creatures. We are, if anybody ever tells you, oh yeah, it's easy. It's this leads to this. And you're talking about human behavior, call BS because it's, it's most likely very, very wrong. We're incredibly complex creatures. Um, also, I disagree with most people about everything. So the way yeah. I do things should not be taken as an example. <laughs> and I mean, it might be that, you know, intrinsic is what gets you into the game and extrinsic is what keeps you there. You know, for example, there's some games like I don't really like racing games. There's nothing about them that really catches my attention or sparks my curiosity or my drive. And so even they can have really great extrinsic rewards, but if I don't go in and play, you know, that doesn't matter. Or there could be a game you're really, really passionate about. Uh, For example, I played Oblivion with the Elder Scrolls game before Skyrim. And I was really intrinsically motivated to kind of explore this world. But the extrinsic feedback I got, like, you have to hone your sword and you have to go on 5,000 side quests before you can do what you want to do. And, oh, you're out of lockpicks. And, like, all of these extra things that came along that were supposed to extrinsically motivate me, you know, to go do these other things, crushed me to the point where I stopped playing. So, yeah, it's definitely not one or the other. Um, I'm sure there's a, a bounce back and forth, but I feel like if one of them drops off, like if your intrinsic motivation drops off because the game is no longer gratifying, or if your extrinsic motivation drops off because you're no longer engaged in what the game is giving you, you're going to bail. So so you said that the, you think that the internal gets you in and the external keeps you there? Is that what you said? Or the opposite? I said the previous, so intrinsic maybe gets you in and extrinsic keeps you there. Yeah. But again, I, I think you, you have to have the intrinsic there the whole time because if the game isn't, well, I mean, grinding is a different thing, And but I don't, I don't grind. So, well, actually, um, that, that was kind of his point right at the beginning, which was that if you are, you have a game that is only feeding the quote unquote dopamine hit 
right? Then you're essentially playing a game that is it not necessarily feels good to play, but is simply constantly rewarding you, and the person only wants that reward, and that that's like that you 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 probably don't want that, right? Because you do want that internal motivation, and and I agree with you. You start because you want to play the game, not because gotta get them trophies or well for some, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, I know several people. One of the guys who's an Xbox MVP with me is has one of the highest gamer scores ever. It's not Stallion who has the current record, but he's at like I think two or three hundred thousand gamer score, something ridiculous like that. So for them, it is all about them trophies. But there's also like a meta game there to that, also, right? Like, yeah, if he's if he's one of the top, you know, he has one of the top gamer scores in the world. That's that's part of his thing. Like he he loves getting that gamer score, and there's a whole other. There's motivation to stay there. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And so one thing that uh, the Notorious BLE talks about um, as as a possible way of kind of shifting this paradigm of extrinsic versus intrinsic and reward schedules and whatnot is the idea of autonomy versus control in a game. And it's the idea that the the player is going to have a preference, probably, um, for how much autonomy they feel they have in a game versus how much uh, the game controls them. So for example, in my favorite game, Halo, it is a very controlled game. The, the game does not let me do a lot. It's um, The term on rails is usually used. Like you have to go through the world a certain way. There is some um, autonomy in that I can choose. You know, There's three paths before me and I can choose whether I want to go to path one, two, or three. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to the same place. So there's a little bit illusion of autonomy, but it's pretty much on rails. And that's, um, I, I like that. But I also like Skyrim, which has very little sense of the game controlling what you can do. Uh, because you can make potions and you can collect anything and you can go anywhere and you can do ridiculous things that you never would have thought that you could do. I mean, that obviously there are limits. You know, you can go to the edge of the map and get stopped and whatnot, but... You know, those, those are just two very different kinds of games that offer players very different uh, experiences through the amount of control and autonomy that, that they're given. And I don't know about you, Josue, but in my experience, it's tend to be people tend to like RPGs or shooters. Like that, that tends to be like two really, I mean, of course, there's other game types in there too, but I've tended to find that a lot of people will have a strong preference for one over the other. They might play both, but have preferences. Well, for something like Halo, uh, I think I think you I feel like you simplified it too much because even if you consider it on rails, there's still you can play. Um, if you're talking about the original Halo, then then there's no co-op, but there's no co-op in the campaign, right? In the first one, no, no, uh, single player, right? So, one. but you still have multiple difficulty levels. You still have really open spaces where you can kind of choose who to fight first. You have multiple weapons. And you can use different strategies, right? So even though you're going in one place, I think part of the fun of Halo is that you can go, you can try to go shotguns blazing or you can just go, mm-hmm. you know, with a different type of weapon. And there's always weapons to choose from. So there is there is a some autonomy, right? I would say a lot of autonomy in a game like Halo and a shooter like that, where literally an on-rail shooter, like the ones you would play in the arcade where it's a, a light gun, you have the one weapon, you're literally moving on rails. You can't even choose where you're going. Um, mm. is, yeah, is, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, is You have no control, really, right? You're just clicking <laughs> on a screen. Space, space invaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so 
I think that probably the appeal, right, is that you you've played Halo many many times, and you've probably gone back and played it a bunch of times, and 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 in different ways. And sometimes you challenge yourself. And a lot of games don't even allow that. But Skyrim is a good example where I've heard many people are like, "Yeah, I was 120 hours in, and I still had no idea what was going to happen, where I could go, what I should do. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just felt uh, kind of lost in this world, and I didn't want to be there anymore." Yeah, which is one of the things that I think the 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 new Zelda game does really really well. Which is that even though the world is huge and you know all of these things that you need to do, everything is always within – everything is very clearly defined. And so you always know what you're making progress on and what you can do. And you know, at, at a certain point, you would have done everything. You checked off all the boxes and you'd be pretty much good to go. But a lot of games don't, don't have that, right? And, and by design, actually, <laughs> right? Because some games want you to be there forever. Um, yeah, the autonomy thing. Like he, he gave the example of the Telltale games, which are adventure games, and there is this false sense of autonomy in that you know the story, the end of the story is never going to be different. Only certain variables within it will change. Uh, but pretty much, you're always everybody's always going to get to the same place, uh, regardless of the choices that they make uh, in between. And it's weird because even though. Even though at this point, I think everybody knows that in these games and there's there's never been – like they've never really changed. Like there are some games that actually have, you know, 15 different endings. But Yeah, like Life is Strange or – Yeah, but, well, Life is, game, uh, Life is Strange has like three different endings, something like um, – mm-hmm. I'm forgetting this uh, Sony game. Um, oh, the one with the serial killer. Oh, I forgot. That does not narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that one has I think I think 16 different endings and you know it can be very different. So I mean, you know, th- there are there's like an illusion there of choice, but the feeling of autonomy, the feeling that I can choose to go this way or that way are are really cool. I, I heard someone the other day on the Waypoint podcast, which is Vice's video game podcast. He said that every time this is Austin Walker, he said that every time he has a choice like in an RPG or anything like that, he he chooses whatever opens the most narrative possibilities. Meaning that, you know, he wants to be able to have completely different experiences throughout the, throughout the game. So he'll choose whatever, um, you know, qualities to improve or whatever gear that would kind of allow that. And, and not, a, not a lot of games allow that kind of freedom. Um, I'm definitely more now than, than ever before. Games are all about giving options. But, you know, I think that's a really good way of, of kind of conceptualizing and, and framing, um, you know, kind of, kind of what we're talking about. So another cool thing that uh, Ben brought up, which is one that I I am very interested in as kind of like an academic pursuit, is this idea of um, counter control, or sometimes people refer to it as subversive play, and that you do the opposite of what the game wants you to do, and that that's what motivates some people. So they they use the Stanley parable as kind of the quintessential example, because that's what that game is like. Your motivation throughout the game is to do the opposite of what you're being told to do. So it's like being able to break with the control. And, and you see that with the passion of the, the mod community and you know people trying to break the boundaries and break control that the game designers put in place in order to have a different experience. And that is their motivation. The new, the new Zelda and um, the new Prey actually do this really well, where you know where you have to go and you're kind of told like, well, this is, there's a door, right? then you have to get a key card for the door. But really, there's so many different ways that you could get through that one door, even though it's not explicit. And and I feel like some games are designing that now into it, where you think that you know 
right? Where where you think that you're breaking the game, but you're really not. I think that's something that that game designers have probably capitalized on because that feels so so good. In Zelda, I played for seventy hours and I never beat the final boss. But some people, as soon as you start the game, you can get. I think the fastest speed run is fifty minutes around there. For the game, which means that they kind of just like do the minimum possible and then just go straight for it. And the door is kind of always open. You can always do that if you want. But the game is always telling you, you need to do all of these other things before you go fight him. But you could if you want. You could just go. <laughs> and that feels yeah. really good to have that option and just to uh, go for it. Why not? Yeah. And I mean, there's an entire community of gamers, the speedrunners, that do exactly that. Um, one of my really good friends, Pro Ace Joker, he's a, I don't know if he can be a pro speedrunner, but he has um, world records in speedrunning Halo, and he can get through an entire Halo campaign in three hours, two hours. And I've seen him actually do all of the Halo games in one sitting. It was, I think, like 12, uh, it was it was ridiculous. It was like 12 or 16 hours straight, but he just speedran all the games. And, and so that includes, you know, just something as simple as jumping past the enemies, which, you know, anybody could do, or these really ridiculous uh tricks that get you outside of the map or, you know, going through a certain point in a way where you don't hit the, um, the trigger to spawn the enemy so you can run straight through. So, and that, that is the motivation behind why these people play. It's not even so much the, the variable ratio schedules or rewards or things like that. Their motivation is coming from kind of counter control of, of playing the game that they want to play it. Yeah. Again, I think I think the the whole idea of like seeing that and seeing how the the speedrun community has taken all these glitches, right, and and been able to get through. Not every speedrun run is going through, you know, glitching through the game, but essentially breaking it. But just that people are designing it in there because because that's a that's a really good feeling. Zelda is like entirely that. Zelda is like I don't know, I could do that if I chop this tree and it falls in, would it fall on someone's head and kill him? Yes, it can. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I I remember uh, an experience I had in Skyrim where I uh, accidentally chopped somebody's head off, and that was really surprising to me, and it, it delighted me um, to to no end because I was on a hill and the head started like rolling away, and I remember texting my husband saying, "Oh my gosh, I chopped somebody's head off and it rolled down a hill," and I had I think I had I had accidentally uh, activated the perk that would allow that to happen. But it was something that I had never, I'd never expected in a million years to, to be able to do. And it was like, surprise. And I, I think it's experiences like that, that kind of maybe pull back into that idea of intrinsic motivation. You know, the, the idea that I could be delighted by something, that I could be surprised by something is, is really important. And, you know, Ben does talk about that a little bit in his, in his talk, the idea of surprise rewards. Um, and, but, they are incredibly difficult to keep going um, and to have the same impact. Because if you try to be outside the box, then your players are going to catch on and also start looking for things that are outside the box and they can outthink you uh, as a designer pretty quick. But I think that's why uh, a, a situation where you have less game designer control. Um, oh gosh, what's the name of that game? It's a, it's a zombie game where you can like build all your own weapons. Dead Rising? That's it. Dead Rising, yes. yeah. yeah. Like the latest Dead Rising, you, you can just combine almost any any items together to get the most ridiculous, insane, you know, weapons that 
the designers probably didn't even have in mind, but they, they just made all the possibilities available so that you can mix and match. And that I think is a really good feeling because you're getting the extrinsic motivation of look at all this cool stuff that the environment's giving me. And this is something that I built. This is something that I did. This is something that's uniquely me. And I, I for me, that's a really powerful motivator um, when I play. Yeah, I mean, loot games like Diablo or even Borderlands, right? Where every time you get a new item, the stats are kind of random. So you could get the same exact item, but the stats could be a little different. That's super exciting. But then you start picking up every single item. Just like when I play an RPG, I'm, I go in every single room. I hate uh, games that uh, allow you to open to uh, open drawers because then I open every single drawer. <laughs> <laughs> the potential surprise reward is there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a whole other level of, of curiosity. And, and to me, this is why user research is absolutely so fascinating is that not only do you have, you know, a human being who's inherently complex, you know, you have a player base, you have a community, and each one of those members of the community is going to have a different reason for being there and a different motivation to stay. So trying to design an experience that speaks to the different types of motivation is like it's it's such a fun like brain breaking challenge and I, I think that's why you see games as being such a popular medium because they can speak to a lot of those motivations so you know in a game like halo you can speed run you can achievement hunt you know you can go for perfection you can play on legendary lasso which means that you can't die throughout the entire run you can play it on easy if you want to you can play it on like there's so many different ways to come at that game and that's just the campaign that doesn't even include things like you know, playing multiplayer and leveling up and unlocking armor and unlocking uh, different, you know, cards and, and whatnot. And then that doesn't even get into, you know, all the different aspects of, of the Halo universe, like the community and events and the books and the podcast. And so there's just, there's so many ways to hook people. And I think games do that better than any other medium, but it's so critical to have that, that user research base um, to, to understand what is driving and, and how do you keep people coming back and keep them engaged? Not necessarily this idea of you're getting them addicted. I hate that. I hate that kind of thought process. But, you know, you want people to play your game. You want to give them a good time. You want them to be engaged. You want them to enjoy themselves. Yeah, the feeling good part is the is, is what I think is key. And I think that's what he kept bringing up over and over again because he kept giving bad examples of how to do all of these things. And they all – we've probably experienced them and we've probably – we know the difference between um, kind of rewards that feel good and rewards that that don't. And, and again, like I I – I hate these mobile games that are just charging you money for a million things and put you on timers and have all of these things. That's why it's a, like, I, I can't, I can't stand that stuff. Um, and I, I worry about how popular those games are. Yeah. So I, I always find those games troubling. You know, if, if I wonder what's going on, if, if someone is, um, we know that those, you know, there are some people who play a lot of, uh, these games and actually pour tons of money into them. And we really don't see that in the console space. It's very – even something like um, Overwatch, which is very popular now, and you can actually spend a lot of money on Overwatch to get better loot. But all of that is it, – it's all cosmetic and there is that good feeling of getting a good uh, prize from the boxes. But at some point, it's done. Like you can actually – 
completely you can get every single item in a game you can buy them all and and there are some games that don't even allow you to do that which i think is is kind of messed up so so there are good ways and bad ways to do that we'll definitely link to to ben's talk on in the show notes because man it's really good it's really good you should follow him on twitter you should i do yeah yeah i like how at the beginning of of his presentations. He's like, and I like to play games. If you want to play games with me, here are all my gamer tags yeah. and IDs. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's super awesome. And it's, it's, I mean, again, it's a fascinating area of topic of, of thought. Cause I don't know about, about you, but before I went through my game design program, you know, video games oftentimes just seem like magic. You know, they're either good or they're not, they're enjoyable or they're not. You want to play or you don't. And it, it's, you know, when you when you get in there and you start trying to design something like that, it's so um, it still feels like magic, <laughs> actually, on the inside. But but you know, a couple spells to make it happen. Um, so I, I would encourage anybody who's interested in game game design, even if you don't want to be a user experience researcher, I think it would be invaluable to you know, at least listen to to Ben's talk, uh, this one and the other one that we talked about on our other podcast, Psych Tech, about how you design games to decrease toxicity and harmful behaviors. Um, I think that's critical for anybody who's interested in games, or especially if you want to design games, because when you when you are creating a game, you are creating a world and you have the opportunity to design it in such a way that you can influence how people play and think and feel and I just I feel like there's this huge responsibility um, to to keep that in mind when you're when you're wanting to be in that space. And most people don't make games, so while you're playing, you can think about why why was this designed this way and why does this feel good, you know? Um, or don't why because you- it could ruin your game experience forever. Like me, like I feel like I'm always a guinea pig. I'm very analytical of uh, <laughs> of of everything uh, that I consume. Why is this here? Why do I feel this way? It's not the best way to the play. I enjoy it, but that may not be for everybody. But there's there's stuff to think about here. Yeah, why do I hear the witch music and get goosebumps and start looking around and going, oh dear God, turn off the flashlight? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm conditioned. All right, that is it for us here at Headshots. Thank you all for tuning in. Let us know what you think. Uh, especially uh, go follow Ben Lewis Evans, my my academic uh, man crush, and uh, don't but don't say that I said that. <laughs> Okay, composure. So be sure to check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter at HeadshotsCast. You can also find us on our homepage, which is HeadshotsPodcast.com. And if you're interested in hanging out with Josue and myself, follow us on Twitter. He's at Josue A. Cardona. I'm at Kelly N. Dunlap. And we also have a fantastic Facebook group, uh, the Geek Therapy Network Facebook group. So you can send us uh, a request and we will we'll bring you in and join our family of amazing geek, nerd, game centric uh, therapy related people who think games can make the world a better place so we'll see you there and uh, see you in two weeks Bye.